Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. The titanic battle between capitalism and socialism on North American soil goes way back to the roots of colonialism. The competitive economic system that eventually prevailed, surprisingly, found a useful ally in the Christian philosophy imported by the early settlers. Together, religion and private property provided the foundation for the successful utilization by Europeans of the continent's land and natural resources. The settlers who arrived at Jamestown and the Plymouth Colony in the early 1600s experimented with socialist communes. Did it work? Was America once socialist? Let's continue this fascinating historical narrative with Pastor Lance Rolston of the History of the Christian Church podcast, who has graciously agreed to share with us his unique views on this remarkable period in North American history. Ever since the atheist and communist Karl Marx wrote Das Kapital in the mid-19th century, the economic system of capitalism has been both misunderstood and castigated, partly because of Marx's definition of labor. He wrongly saw labor as the antithesis to capital, when in reality capital is just labor transformed. Marx's definition has dominated the discussion, even though it's based on a false premise. Another misunderstanding relates to capitalism itself. Although Marx didn't use the term, it became a despised concept to his sympathizers who used it in their pro-socialist and so necessarily anti-capitalistic propaganda. Capitalism is negatively portrayed in mass media today. Ironically, even many news anchors, celebrities, and university professors who are paid millions of dollars annually, a capitalist salary, cast aspersions on capitalism, biting the hand that feeds them. In reality, capitalism is only a synonym for free enterprise and free markets. If these terms were consistently used instead of the word capitalism, socialists would have a more difficult time getting people to see capitalism as evil. This would be especially true in societies that have a strong tradition of freedom, like the United States and Canada and Great Britain. People would ask, how can this economic system be evil if it's the product of political and economic freedom? and has never been found to exist without such freedom. I'm attempting to show how the Christian worldview has impacted world history and how people live and think today. That's when history becomes relevant, and more than just academic fodder. It's when we understand how the past influences today, and the influence faith has had on property rights and individual freedom. I'm simply trying to show how a Christian worldview does tend to promote a certain kind of economic system, and that system flows from what it says about property rights. A definition of capitalism by Pope John Paul II is quite relevant. In 1996, he asked rhetorically whether the Eastern European countries, where communism had failed, should opt for capitalism. Said the Pope, quote, if by capitalism is meant an economic system which encourages the fundamental and positive role of business, the market, private property, and the resulting responsibility for the means of production, as well as free human creativity in the economic sector, then the answer is certainly in the affirmative, unquote. The Pope's definition of capitalism underscores that really it's a synonym for free enterprise. 
So the free market has not only survived, it's given to a greater proportion of the world's people more prosperity and freedom than any other economic system in history. As Milton Friedman has shown, in countries where the free market is not permitted to operate, the gap between the rich and the poor is the widest. It can be argued further that a free market economy as it is practiced in America is of all economic systems the most moral and that it does not coerce or compel individuals to make economic transactions. It permits individuals or companies to act voluntarily. Individuals need not buy or sell their products unless they so desire. Furthermore, individuals are not compelled to produce a product against their will, as is the norm in socialist or so-called planned economies. Finally, given the positive relationship between economic freedom and a nation's prosperity, the following question needs to be asked. Is it merely accidental that the greatest amount of freedom and the accompanying economic prosperity happen to exist in countries where Christianity has had and continues to have a dominant presence and influence? The evidence shows rather decisively that a capitalistic mode of life whenever siege conditions do not prevail. On a deeper level, and maybe this gets more to the heart of the issue, is the question of the profit motive. Is the desire for profit inherently sinful? And if it is, should it be regulated by civil law and an economic system that makes profit something to be shunned? Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. A worker is worthy of his or her wages. To pay those wages, the employer has to make a profit or they are going to have nothing to pay the worker with. The idea that the profit motive is evil, it was Karl Marx, the atheistic communist, who said that profit, which he called surplus value, was the result of labor not returned to the laborers. So profit was cast as an exploitation of workers. The Soviet encyclopedia projects this belief when it states, quote, under capitalism, the category of profit is a converted form of surplus value, the embodiment of unpaid labor of wage workers, which is appropriated without compensation by the capitalist, unquote. Contempt for the profit motive is common fare for some intellectuals who harbor socialistic ideas. They impugn profit by identifying abuses in the world of banking and industry and commerce. Now, to be sure, profits can and have been abused horribly at times. But if this is to be used as condemnation for free enterprise, then socialism has to be held to the same standard. And when it is, it fares worse than the free market. After the disaster at Roanoke Island and the mystery of the lost colony, the next English settlers in America landed in 1607 and called their settlement Jamestown. After a rough start that saw the colony nearly destroyed, 
Captain John Smith arrived and made moves to make it successful. The colonists were economically organized as a socialist community, requiring all settlers to give all products of their labor to the common store. Individuals had no private property and no economic freedom. This system quickly turned disastrous, bringing famine and starvation. An early historian wrote, quote, It was a premium for idleness and just suited the drones, who promptly decided that it was unnecessary to work themselves since others would work for them, unquote. Smith's threats that if a person didn't work, they wouldn't eat, did little to improve the economic malaise. So, beginning in 1611, Governor Thomas Dale ended the common store, and four years later had the London Company deed 50 acres to each colonist if he would clear the trees and farm it. The injection of private property and economic freedom brought about a dramatic change in Jamestown. The colonists immediately went to work, and guess what? They prospered. The new economic system demonstrated that socialism doesn't work. A similar situation happened among the pilgrims at Plymouth. When they landed on the shores of Cape Cod in 1620 and set up their colony, like Jamestown, they tried to equate Christianity with socialism. Their common store system failed as well. The colony experienced economic disaster. So in 1623, William Bradford, the colony's governor, like Governor Dale in Jamestown, assigned all able-bodied persons a portion of land as their own. Before long, the slothful and unproductive turned from laggards into willing, productive workers. Men who previously had feigned sickness were now eager to get into the fields. Even the women went out to work early. They now took their children with them and happily engaged in labor for their own family. The result was that the following harvest was a tremendous, bountiful harvest, and abundant Thanksgiving was celebrated in America. That's a report from Plymouth Plantation. With the common store, the pilgrims had little incentive to produce commodities other than those needed for their immediate sustenance. But the new system, based on economic freedom, revealed for the second time that when people own their own property, they become energetic rather than lethargic and dependent on others. Socialism can only work if human beings are sinless and always seek the best for their neighbor. Problem is, that person doesn't exist. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. Please share this podcast with a friend. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.